0: Hi, oh, it's Alex like from Bad Dreams.
1: Hey, Michaela Jenke here.
0: Hey there, this is Don Ross. It's Cam from Pumpometer here. Hi, it's Jacob here. Hey, this is George Harris from The Raven Age. Hey,
1: it's Tom Lost Hi, this is New Regulars. Hey, this is Fletcher Pillan, and you're listening to The Gig with Hannah. So I'm joined by Russell Miles. Welcome to Adelaide. Absolutely cured it out on stage. How did it feel?
0: It was cold, Hannah. I tell you what, my fingers really didn't work yeah. too well, but it was good. It's very hard always opening up for big American acts, because what they do is, the crowd is just coming in, but also the American acts don't allow you to use the PA to its full extent, Mm
1: -hmm. so you're
0: stuck on something like 98 dB, which is like shouting volume, when they come on it's way, way over that, so you tend to sound a little bit, a little bit trickly, a little bit of a stream against a raging river, so... It is hard but I, uh, we love getting up there and the crowd seemed to appreciate it which was great.
1: Well you've got the Aussie fans here, they don't have their American fancies, so you've got one above yep. them on that. Yeah. So last five years you've been super busy with the release of three albums. You've really stuck to like the true Australian story and you've touched a lot of hearts through your music. What about these three albums do you feel has been the reason for their success?
0: I think uh, the reason for their success because it had been a long time i'd had about five albums and they all sunk without a trace mm. and i think what happens if you've been around for a while and you write in a particular way you always tend to fall back on that pattern of writing mm. and what happens and you may be writing better songs than you did when you first started but it's still the same style yeah and people become sick of you and people they go oh yeah i like it but i really like his old stuff better and they just get sort of used to and then you, they pigeonhole you and they say, right, this is his style, I know what he does. I, and that's that sort of style. And then a new album comes out and they go, well, I've got his old albums. So what I came out, I sort of came out with a wet fish and slapped mm. them across the face. I did something that no one in Australia expected me to do because mm. no one really knew that I started doing the blues. That was what mm. I first started playing. And then Ian Meldrum came along and said, we need to be more commercial. And that's how that started. I was doing Tamla Motown and blues stuff and um, that's what happened and I was doing writing the blues songs and then I saw a photo of Thomas Archer who's on the front of the first cover, Shark Mouth, and I thought what a great photo and it just communicated to me. It said if you're going to write blues and root songs you can't write about New Orleans or Mississippi. You never lived there. You don't understand it. You don't understand that culture. Mm. Write about your own culture and do it in a blues genre. And it virtually said, write a song about me. Let mm. people know I lived and breathed and I scared the hell out of everybody. So I wrote the song about Thomas Archer and called it Shark Mouth, and that was his nickname, and I, that was it. It opened the door for me, and I realised then that's what I should do. I've, I've been blind, and I that went down... And, Fortunately, everyone else thought the same thing. I thought, wow, this is. Because when we first did the album, not one record company wanted to touch it because of my really? past reputation, because they thought, oh, yeah, we've heard. You know, like, oh, and he's doing something, that's not going to work. And finally, one record company took it, yeah. and it just went off like a firecracker. It was the biggest selling album of no- uh, 2013. I don't know. Yeah.
1: So you've chosen to work really closely with Mitch Cairns. Why was that? Like, in your band and like producer?
0: Well, he's very good. He's, he's very he good. And he's, he's the sort of guy that I can um, say to him, listen, Mitch, I, what I hear on this track, I hear an elephant walking on the dirt. Do you think yeah. you could go to the zoo and tape the sound of an elephant walking on dirt and we'll double it up? And we'll, yeah. Not that ridiculous, of yeah. course, but I can suggest ridiculous ideas. Mm. And he would go, yeah, so. all right, let's give it a go. I don't know if it'll work, but we'll try it. (laughs) Other producers would go, are you serious? Mm. That's that's never gonna work. So what they do is they pour cold water on your ideas. You really need someone who's a bit open and conducive to ideas. That's what
1: music's about though, isn't it? That's
0: right, yeah, but there are a lot of people who work to formulas and work to what should be done, yeah.
1: So let's go back to 2008, inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame. How, where were you when you found out this news?
0: Uh, I, they rang me when I was in Melbourne and they said, will you come up to the Arias and uh, you're going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? And I said, yeah. I'll do. And then they ended up Were you up shocked having,
1: or did you like, have any idea this was going to happen?
0: No, no, I didn't. No, I, I thought maybe eventually, because mm. I'd had the hits and things, and they ended up having it in Melbourne. The uh, only funny thing about the night Rolf Harris was inducted at the same time.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, but when I got inducted, I thought... You know what I feel like? I feel like I'm working for AMP, mm. and they brought me up before the board and given me a gold watch and said, "Great job done. Now it's all over for you. You just go off now. Oh. You've done your, you've made your contribution. You just go away and disappear." I felt a little bit like that, mm. and that was when I decided to do the new album. So I mm. thought, "Damn it, I've still got more stuff to do." You know? Yeah.
1: So, lots of like rock artists and people that have really made history in the music industry, when they first started off, they had no idea how long their fame was going to last. Like, it was all new for everyone. Was this the same for you, just taking it day by day?
0: Well, I said to my folks, I, I was doing a diploma, and I said, I'm going to leave my third year. Oh. And they said, Yes. What was serious? your diploma in? Accountancy and economics. And they said, You can't do this. Yep. And I said, I want to do the music. And they said, Okay, it's your decision. We'll stand by you, whatever you want to do. And I said, Listen by the time I'm 25 I'll be too old to be in the music business mm. Mm. I'll go back and finish my final year Yeah. and I said uh, I've dropped two subjects in second year I'll just do them and a couple of subjects and then I'll do another extra year and complete it and I'll, mm-hmm. but I'll do that after I've had a little bit of a dabble in the music
1: yeah.
0: and the dabble <laughs> is still continuing
1: it sure is so you were making music history at the same time Molly Meldrum was in the scene Molly's had such a heavy influence on a lot of Australian artists how did he change your path?
0: He changed my path, he is, he's got an incredible knack and an incredible ability to hear something when it's right, when he knows mm-hmm. it's going to touch the public and like you can be sitting in the studio for days with him trying to get a guitar part and some poor guitar players going through the ropes and playing and playing and then Molly all of a sudden will go, stop, that's <laughs> it, when everyone else has nearly fallen asleep. Yeah. And he just seems to instinctively know what's right. Yeah. And he was a great record producer, but laborious. He took forever to do things. Mm. The real thing took no time at all to record. It took forever for him to mix it. Yeah. He mixed it, remixed it, mixed it, remixed it, mixed it. it went on forever. Yeah. But he was right. And he he had the idea to make it from a three and a half minute song to a six and a half minute song and that was an accident because the drummer was, what they were playing, they got to the end and the engineer went to push the button, the talkback button, say, okay guys, we've got it. And Ian said, no, let them play. Yeah. And then the drummer did a fill and went into double time. They played and played and then the drummer threw his sticks down. Yeah. We went, uh, And Ian said, don't worry, we'll fade it. Then mm. later that night he rang me up and he said, I've got a great idea. <laughs> I said, what? He said, we're going to make the record six and a half minutes. And I said, are you serious? I said, no one will play it. And he said, well, we'll make it like an EP with a little mark in the middle. Mm. And when it gets there, the DJs can fade it if they want to play the whole thing. I said, but what do we do the last three minutes? Mm. There's just the band jamming. He said, I'll put sound effects. And I said, Ian, I don't see this is going to work. He said, trust me, it's going to work. And he was right.
1: Yeah, that's insane. So everyone's yeah. got their crazy Molly story. What's yours?
0: Yeah. Uh when uh, the people wanted, to, EMI was so annoyed that he'd spent so much money on the single, wanted to come mm-hmm. down and hear it. And he, uh, he said, I don't want them to come and hear it. And they said, we have to come, we, we've paid for this. And I said, Ian, they'll love it. Don't worry, they're going to love this song. And he was terrified. And the engineer's saying to him, they're going to love it. He said, no, they're going to hate it. They're going to hate it. So he started to get drunk. Before they got there, he took the tapes and ran out onto the golf mm-hmm. course. And um, we had to go and get him and bring him back. Play them the song that we're sitting there and it finishes. He was right. They hated it. They thought it was the biggest load of rubbish. They went back to Sydney and they rang up and said, we hate it. We don't think it's ever going to do anything. We might release it in Melbourne, but that's about it. We're not going to release it Australia-wide. So Ian said, if you don't, I'm going to burn the tapes. Oh,
1: no. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So they decided to do it, yeah. And
1: the rest is history. Now, look, your music career started mid-60s, yeah? Yeah. And like, it's what you've been doing ever since. Finally, I just want to know why personally you've stuck with music through the highs and through the lows, you've just kept doing it.
0: I, I sort of I failed at brain surgery and it was really hard to get back into getting a job. Yeah. I've never been, yeah, I've never been qualified to do anything. If I did something else, I would have had to have gone back mm. and probably finished my diploma and been an accountant or an, an economist or something like that. And... Every now and then I'd go through really bad years of no work mm. and then it would turn around just briefly and yeah. then, it, then it would go flat again. And then it would turn around, then it would turn around and then from 1993, I think, it really picked up.
1: Mm.
0: And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until Shark Math, which is the biggest thing I've ever had, even over the real thing and all that. It's the biggest selling... Not a lot of people realise that. They all think, "Oh, the real thing's the biggest thing I've mm. ever had." Especially older people, because that's mm. all they remember. Mm. But uh, the new stuff, um, those two albums have got arias, and one was the biggest-selling album of 2013. So it's been good. It's
1: all about the passion and sticking with it. Sticking—that's with anything. <laughs> Absolutely, so anything. Yeah, if you stick with the passion, that's it. Well, thank you so much, Russell Morris. Have Thanks, a good night. Hannah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dale.